welcome to another edition of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephants podcast for the ITSM community, the fastest 30 minutes in ITSM audio. Hey, it's Chris Dancy. This is episode 26, and I'm here with Troy Dubelay. Hey, Chris. How you doing today? Doing good. Doing, doing good. Uh, crazy weather. I think it's because it's May. Uh, thunderstorms last night, and, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm on the front porch because, you know, I'm getting older, so I watch storms now, and um, instead of make them. <laughs> but that can be debated. <laughs> and it was a gigantic bolt. And, and what's the first thing that went through my head? Troy's Thunderbolt tip of the day! I'm like, oh no, that's tomorrow. It's not tonight. So. Well, we got the same weather. I, I, I imagine we're in Seattle right now, but actually in Toronto. But I thought it was supposed to be April showers bring Mayflowers. What happened to, you know, the fact that we're supposed to be beyond the shower thing now? I, I think it has something to do with the heavens have distributed service desk models. <laughs> and, they're, and they're not all in sync with each other. Way to bring it back to topic, Chris. Yeah, you know, they don't pay me to be pretty. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> So, Troy, yes. I've seen, and I'm seeing uh, this crazy uh, the movements here with, with people who have more than one service desk. In some cases, two, some three, four, five. In some cases, just not even what they would consider a service desk, just a project team taking tickets and something random. Just the other day, I thought to myself, I was trying to log a ticket at my company, and I thought, why can't I just ask for an HR thing through this system? And like, you know, I just, then I end up sending an email to H. So there's like all this, you know, decentral, all these different, what is going on? I feel like I'm in a mad, mad world. Well, yes. In fact, I've seen it go so crazy that there's, you know, the service desk to call when you don't know what service desk to call. Mm. You know, call this desk if you don't know who to call and they'll figure it out for you. Yeah. Yeah. We worked with a client just recently, actually, that was creating a customer response center. And it was beyond IT because not only were we having the service desk, the classic service desk, but mm-hmm. if you need the facilities or you needed a fleet management activity or you want to you know, support on your, your expenses, it was just anything that could be user or uh, consumer base could come to this center and kind of a Mac genius bar kind of set up as well, as well as the virtual entry points, right? It was a single central point of access to anything user-based. It was kind of cool. I like that idea because I'm in a, you know, our company's growing very fast and it's, I never sometimes don't know who to send it to. And I really do wish I had like a, uh, what you call it, the customer response center? Customer response center. I wish I had like a CRC. I'll just use that because I don't remember the words. A CRC in front because it would make my life as a customer a lot easier because I just, you know, I almost need an Oracle. I was at, speaking of this, you, you said Genius Bar, didn't you? I did. I was at Rackspace. You ever heard of Rackspace? I have indeed. In fact, I have a cousin who works there. There you go. Down in Texas? It's one of the locations. I'm not sure where. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, we don't want to give away too much of <laughs> Troy's personal life. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I was down at, at, at um, and I'll put it, I'll, I will put a, a, a picture in the show notes. I'll make sure I do this. Remind me. Um, so I've got pictures of this. They actually had a Genius Bar. Uh, so they actually built a bar in front of the help desk, and they put like a, a Smoky Joe's help center, like an old neon sign flickering. And members of the service desk, when they weren't on the phones, would actually man the bar. And anyone could walk up and ask any type of IT-related question. But then kind of to today's talk, downstairs in front of HR, they had a similar type bar, but it looked more like, you know, how Charlie Brown and Lucy had that little, you know, 10-cent 
psychiatric help sign. I thought you were going to say kissing booth, and that might be a bit inappropriate. Did, did she have a kissing booth? <laughs> Lucy had a kissing booth. Someone had a booth in Charlie Brown where they offered advice. It was like, advice, 10 seconds. And I thought, and that kind of goes to, I like the idea of this bar, but again, I had to walk two different places. So this is the reality for most organizations, right? In fact, even having a front door is kind of an improvement for some. The reality, I think you've seen the same thing, Chris. We go to most organizations, uh, it's just over a period of time, things have grown, whether that's been through mergers and acquisitions, whether that's simply been project by project creating its own support mechanisms. You've got this spaghetti bowl of support channels, mm. and there really isn't any clear way to get access for you know one thing. You, you have to know the whole complexity to actually understand how to get support, and that's a big challenge. Well, I would think it would be a huge challenge not only for, you know, I, the first person I think of would be a new employee, but just for, like you said, mergers and acquisitions, you know, rapidly growing companies, you don't know who's in charge of what anymore. It's not like you, you know, I know, you know, Beth in, in HR, and I just walk up to her and say, hey, I need help with this. You know, how do our benefits work on this? I mean, you know, at our company, we actually outsourced the handling of our benefits. So I have a help desk, I call, that's not part of my company, that just does that. So it is really confusing. And again, that's very common to what we see, right? So you'll often find organizations with a component of their service desk outsourced. Let's say it's tier one kind of, you know, office productivity support. Uh, But then each of the application groups might have their own kind of special support desk, especially the, you know, Mm. the big ERP systems. Then you're going to have these shadow desks that have been created in the business units, basically smart uh, employees that became service desks (laughs) because they they were techies and they couldn't get anyone in the actual service desk to answer their phone calls. Mm. Uh, Then you've got these, you know, forward deploy or remote support agents out in the branch or on the the plant floor, uh, which are quasi-IT, you know, salaried people, but they've kind of gone native on you, and now they're they're roaming around doing their own thing out there. Or as Sarah Palin would say, gone rogue. Gone rogue, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so this is the reality for most organizations. So, you, you know, we think of best practices. They talk about single point of contact, and we look at this spaghetti bowl aspect, and, you know, we pull our hair out because this, this is so complex. How do, you, how do you fix this? How do you improve the situation? Well, okay, it's almost like choice cooking hour. So I, I personally like a good spaghetti. You know, there, you got this spaghetti kind of strands, or then you got shells and noodles, all types of spaghetti. I guess my first question to you is, does it have to be fixed? We talked one time about pain versus, you know, is, it, is there enough pain to fix it? I mean, are there times when it would work? Well, you play with the cards you're dealt, right? Mm. And so reality is sometimes when you've got an outsourced situation, the contract's not about to be terminated anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So you've got to deal with the partner you've brought into your family now and treat them like they're part of a family member. Very important. Uh, so that front door you've outsourced, so you've got to deal with that. Um, but the reality is you've got to acknowledge you have all these different support avenues. So rather than let's throw the entire thing out, how do we take this bowl of spaghetti and start looking for the beginning and ends of each and kind of build this more complex but single channel, or not single channel, but a, let's say a simplified channel for support. Right. So how do you pull all these things together would be my first goal. This is the concept of good, better, best. Yes, you might identify opportunities for consolidation. Let's say, you know, in four or five of these desks that you found shadow or legitimate, there's kind of this front-level support. Well, maybe you can move some of those people to different parts of the organization. The reality is you've you've got your front door, uh, and that's both uh, some technologies, whether you're using an IVR phone technology or you actually got, um, you know, a single point of contact in a service desk. 
But then I've got to take the front door, whether that's, you know, push five and you go to the support desk for application X, push three and you go to customer support center. I take that front door and I've got to now clean it up. So that front door will then have to deal with how do I pass calls through? Is it going to be warm transfer? I take the call, try to solve the issue at the front end here. I can't do that. So I will then warm transfer you to a second tier desk, a specialized desk. Mm. Or is that going to be a cold transfer where I just drop you into a queue? Or is that going to be recognizing that that second tier desk actually is a frontline desk because I literally allow you to hit number three on my RVR technology and you go directly for SAP support. Speaking of IVR technology, I've noticed a lot of times when I call different support desks, Every single support desk I've called, probably in the last 10 years, who has any type of IVR, I always get the same message. Choices have recently changed. <laughs> have you ever noticed that? <laughs> How often are they, are they really changing or they just know that they don't want me to wait and hit the numbers I know? Oh, hit zero and go to a live voice, right? Exactly. So you talked about consolidation, and I think that's an interesting concept. I want to pick your brain a little bit about there. Does consolidation have to be a physical move of people? Does it have to be uh, using the same tool? Can it be a consolidation of ideology? Okay, so consolidation can come at different levels. So let's think about... Yeah, I knew you'd know yeah. this. I knew you'd know this one. So you have process consolidation. Like we still we still want to have one common process for gaining support, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a way to understand what a first, second, third level support process is and how things move through that queue based on who's supposed to support what. Mm. Then there are roles. And so you know you could have first, second, second, third level roles distributed and you can consolidate people relative to the role. Then there are technologies. And literally you have the, the telef- telephony IVR technology consolidation and you have the, the ticketing tool consolidation, right? So you could look at consolidation on all three levels. What most organizations do at the beginning is to take an inventory. Where are all the possible elements of support? Who's doing what? Mm. What are their areas that they're supporting? What kind of roles do they have? What technologies are they using? So it's like they, they it's almost like they map out their support graph and all the different touch points. They start pulling the spaghetti strands apart and looking at each one. Mm. Because until I figure out what I've got, I can't make a determination about what I do as a next step. So once I've got this inventory of practices, I'm not going to even call it a process maturity assessment, right? That's how do I compare mm. against some framework like ITIL or COVID. Just who's doing what and with what and by whom. And most importantly, write it down. <laughs> write it down because until it's, not, until it's written down, it's not true. Yeah. My favorite, my favorite Troyism. Right. And now the ghost desk and shadow desk have now been identified as, you know, there's legitimate people here and they have a cost and they have, you know, an impact to the, to the bottom line. Now I've got to figure out this strategy. So let's put aside the inventory for a minute, right? Mm. Let's envision this strategy where I do have a single point of contact relative to the IVR telephony. There's a single number. Okay. And there are neat technologies now, depending on if you're a global organization, if you're calling in from a certain area code, you literally get kind of funneled uh, to one desk versus the other based on a follow the sun model, right? So it comes to somebody. And then on that front level, there's this determination, whether it's, again, automated or it's manual, where this call should be routed to. Do I handle it at the front level? And what kind of things do I handle at the front level? You yeah, desktop support, you know, shrink wrapped applications, password resets, um, request fulfillment activities, facilities requests, whatever that is. That's that tier one. And then you identify, okay, what kind of person 
with a relative salary level will I need at tier one? What skill levels are those, generic skill levels? So that's my tier one. Then I've got this tier two concept. And now I could have specialized desk, right? So each business unit might have a set of application desk or uh, each application might have its own desk, whatever that might be. But in your inventory, again, you've kind of figured out that might have multiple roles there. I've got this tier two desk. How do I pass tickets or calls through from tier one to tier two? Because I either have to kind of go through that automated IVR, you go direct, and literally that becomes now a tier one desk, right? Or it's an it's an indirect where it's a pass through, and now that's either going to be a warm pass through or a, a cold drop into a queue. Um, and then I've got to come up with policies about how long I want to you know wait for that to occur, the response time policies, and then. What kind of role do I need on that tier two desk? Because let's say I have identified as more of a specialized desk, they're a specialized skill set on a specific technology or application. That means they're going to have this kind of salary expectation. And if I've got that defined and I find mismatches of people that might be more of a tier one type of role within that tier two desk, well, that person might be identified to move to the tier one organization, whether that's outsourced or not. And then finally, what's my tier three? And this is where I get into my supplier integration as well as my, uh, my engineer-type back office third-level role. So now I have to have underpinning contracts in place with cloud suppliers too, like ServiceNow, right? Because if, if I have an issue with my ServiceNow instance, I have to have the service desk strategy incident management process connected with my external suppliers. So that whole model now is kind of taking this bowl of spaghetti and, and stretching each of these lines out and saying, here is the channel of support for each of these avenues, and here's how it passes from tier one, tier two, tier three. Now we consolidate on technologies, because if we're going to have one common process across this strategy, I'm going to hopefully have one technology. And if not, then all the technologies I use have to kind of be configured in the same way, which is complex and costly. So that's bit of a rant there, but that's kind of how you think through this process. Yeah, two things about that stream of uh, knowledge uh, that you called a rant. One, I I read someplace last year, and I'll I'll have to dig up the article. There's actually a a consortium of service desk vendors, all sorts, you know, know, little service desk vendors, big, all of them, that actually last year created this kind of, what I can't think it was called open ticket initiative, so that you can do what you said, transfer stuff back and forth, even though you have different tools. It was almost like someone created a framework for this is a basic incident transfer. And and it was kind of interesting because when you talked about your level three, that's the first thing that popped in my mind. But as you were talking about all these different, you know, before you consolidate, you've got your different processes, maybe in different teams, some different tools, different skill sets. My mind started going back to some of the podcasts when we would talk about creating service offerings. And how you would look at, you know, all the resources around a service, whether it's software, people, process, hardware, all the different things that you can bundle up and make a nice little service offering for someone uh, to put into a catalog or portfolio. And, and I wondered, could you use the skills that you, that you or, or maybe use up someone in your organization who has done service bundling to help you in your consolidation efforts? Since it seems like they have similar skills. Well, in reality, what we're talking about is a support service, right? We've never talked about that. Is there such a thing? Absolutely. Outside of ITIL and service management, there's always a macro operating model. We'll have, you know, planned processes, build processes, run and support. Support is is an understood 
uh, concept, whether, whether you're coming from a business manufacturing, financial, you know, industry type concept or an IT concept. Support is just a set of capabilities and a service you need to provide. It's a, ba- it's a base element. It's a base element of any operating model. You have to build a support model. That's good to know that we won't be out of business soon. <laughs> Not at all. And that's why you can actually use technologies that were traditionally used even for, I don't know, maintenance within a manufacturing plant like IBM has and use it in service management because the reality is support, support, support. You've got to come up with this model regardless of what you're supporting and understand the complexities of the different tiers of support you want to put behind your offers. And that catalog that you described it would actually present your service offering called support and it's different flavors. You know, you have the service desk element, you have the mm-hmm. uh, forward deploy concept or, or desktop support aspects of this. You know, you go to my telco right now and I can go online and actually have instant chat or L2 as a channel for getting support. So all of these are attributes of a, of a base capability or offer called support. Speaking of combining support and consolidation models, uh, have you ever heard of GoDaddy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I know Canada's far away. No, I, I, <laughs> well, I, don't I use GoDaddy. I, I always get in trouble because you know, people always go, wow, Chris, do you think America only knows that sort of thing? Well, I don't know. Do you have water in the U.S., Chris? Well, no, we're not clean. <laughs> um, we have Dean Kamen, though, and he creates machines to clean water. But um, GoDaddy, for those of you who don't know, is an internet hosting provider and all sorts of stuff. But you know, when I've called them for support, I've, I've noticed that their support people also like review... Why I don't know how they do it. They must be really talented. But they're reviewing my contract and always commenting, oh, did you know you're about to, you know, expire on this? Okay, change the DNS address to this. Oh, and did you know we can offer you this, this, and this? It's almost like their support people are also marketing slash salespeople at the same time. Oh, yeah, cross, cross sales, absolutely. I mean, that's that's really, that's synergy, the big word there, right? You're using multiple talents. So is there such a thing as a service you know, a traditional IT service desk that would invoke some of that synergy and, you know, while you're helping someone? Let's play a scenario through. We've had this conversation in the demand and service catalog and the request, right? Mm-hmm. But let's say for the moment that yeah, I had access to the services that we offer, which is our general catalog. Mm-hmm. But then I could also look at your subscribed use of that set of offers. Mm. And I could actually now see the actual use of the different service elements that you're currently subscribed to versus even a forecasted target you might have set. And I can say, listen, I see you're about to kind of move from hosting level one to hosting level two. And we can do that proactively. Otherwise, you're going to be in overage charges, right? Do you want to do that right now? Or let's talk about ways you can kind of keep yourself in the bounds of hosting level one. But that means we'd have a, you know, an accurate understanding of our consumers, what they're currently subscribed to in the catalog and their current demand and what the current consumption is against that demand. That's really hot. And uh, that's what's happening in that GoDaddy scenario. Again, this wasn't invented just for IT service management, right? These are simply elements of building this continuity of... The base element of support. And upselling now. <laughs> Not just upselling for additional profit, but literally being on the side of the consumer, helping them to engage and, and do things better for themselves. Yeah, and upsetting always isn't a profit thing. I mean, there are a lot of hospitals and nonprofits, you know, the, the people that aren't out to make money that when you're, you know, you're meeting with their support personnel, you know, they give you choices, you know. Like like you said, I, you've said many times, you know, there's, there are lots of decisions you can make around this sort of thing. But now let's play this scenario where you've outsourced the service desk because... You, I still like, I like the scenario you just did. I would love, I would go back and 
to a help desk. I'd be on a help desk again if I had that ability. Yeah. I would love to know what people were using. But reality is a lot different, you know, in IT anyway, mm. because we've outsourced the service desk to some managed service provider based on low cost. Uh, and we've said, this is what you shall do and no further. And after that, you know, everything is now kind of pitched into the wall, over the wall into the practitioner organization because there's no continuity of belief that it's just part of the same support system. So there's no, there's no information for that poor call dispatch center that's mm-hmm. been outsourced. Uh, and we love to hate them because they're doing such a poor job, but yet we've you know, pushed them at the end of our hands saying, you're not part of this family. We've just given you this Joe job here to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're not going to get any information other than just take the call and dispatch it. Right? So how is that organization uh, empowering, A, their front door, but B, increasing the satisfaction of their consumer coming in through that front door, through this disjointed, that's your spaghetti string over there and this is mine. That's, I mean, that's just mind-boggling to think about how fundamental, because, you know, we're always, you know, you and I, we talk about different processes and we've talked about frameworks and operating models and governance, but, you know, support is a base element and how it really plays a big role in this idea of, you know, distributed or, or service desks, you know, and support models. I guess distributed support models. Yeah, distributed support models is a good way to say it. Now, but think about it this way. We've had this conversation before, the project culture versus the run culture. Now, is this the one where everybody wants to be an artist? Everyone wants to be an artist and everyone wants to, wants to be in research and development R&D, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to be focused on the plan build side of the model and, and not the run. Mm. So in that model, uh, we don't have good ongoing support because everything is focused on projects and new capital initiatives and net new value creation. Ron, that's that's not sexy. I don't want to bother with that. We'll just kind of keep things as they are. Unless you're Flojo. <laughs> Who's Flojo? I don't know. She's some girl from the Olympics like a decade ago. She was super fast Oh, I see. Sorry. Okay. I don't know. Dude, you know my cultural <laughs> references. They just hit my head. There you go. Flojo. I've got cultural Tourette. Uh, so Flojo, right. But let's say I'm in project mode, which is where most IT cultures are, right? All this project mode. Mm-hmm. So in the absence of good run, all they do is create new support models for every project. So project A, B, and C all create their own support models and end up creating support processes and support functions by application, by project. So in this model of forever focusing on the project versus run, which is where support lives, uh, I'm always, I'm not improving the situation. I'm ongoing adding complexity and distraction to the environment, adding more spaghetti to my spaghetti mold. Now that's the more. That's the more. <laughs> well, is the problem that we need to make run sexier or well, <laughs> we need to get more, more people interested in we've it? We've got I mean, to bring people up from the fact that, you know, yes, plan build is important, but it only produces the potential for value. You don't deliver value until you actually deliver it in a stable run environment. Hmm. Right, so you we have to get at least equal footing for run because that's where value is delivered, and the current satisfaction for the run processes and the support processes is at a low level because we have not paid attention to it. We haven't pulled apart the spaghetti bowl and created these distributed support channels. You know, talking about the run versus the project culture, and and you know the idea of consolidating this support model. It kind of brings me back to some stuff I've seen at the Pink Conference. Oh, by the way, congratulations on your Arizona event. Thank you. Uh, I guess you guys are having a big, when is that? Yeah, that's in August. That's going to be in Scottsdale. We'll put a link in the show notes. Check out uh, the the Pink Forum in August. Uh, But it reminds me of a couple things I saw at Pink the past few years. One was Paul Wilkinson talking about ABC. Yeah. And then I think you guys might have even had Ian Clayton this year talking about outside-in thinking. That's right. I mean, I would think those two, you know, culture and, and customer 
centricity. Those things, I would think they'd be really important in if you were going to do this base element to do it right. Well, culture is what's challenging right now because we prefer to live in this, this is my spaghetti verse and that's yours. And this is my tool mm. and that's yours. This is my process and that's yours, even though we're in this... Mm cohesive, integrated support organization. Maybe we leave everybody's spaghetti alone and just give the table one spoon. Yeah, well, or we've got to figure out something, you know, relative to changing status quo. Yeah. But the U.S. Bach and Ian Clayton's concept is exactly what we're talking about here, and I'll give him total due. We have to look at it from the customer perspective, the outside-in perspective, mm. because when I create these support channels, they have to be simple, clear, and understandable, right? Because I have to know how to get support and how it occurs, and that's the outside in thinking. I had to design this distributed model from the customer experience, not from the inside what's expedient for technology type organizations to do. Or how do I maintain my, my influence, my power, and my tool without letting go of uh, you know, my toys? Which would be fun for the designer type people you were talking about to you know, envision these magical customer experiences. But when it comes down to, you know, the, the runners, the people making those experiences happen, where are those people in the organization? Well, to your point, there's actually two parts of this discussion because we will often paint the front door and fix up the porch, mm. but not deal with the back end of this thing, mm. right? We actually have, are guilty many, many times of basically building a new front door and a new front porch, bringing in a new outside supplier to do front-level, first-level support, mm -hmm. never fixing the back-office IT black hole. So all we keep getting is someone else to yell at. In, in, ar in architecture, that's called a facade. A facade. <laughs> we, we change the facade. Yes. And, you know, so people are on the front, level, front door answering phones and taking responses and being very courteous and polite, yes. maybe in a different and foreign accent, but the reality is they're being responsive. The Greeks were, had brilliant facades in the fronts of their buildings. You were thought you're walking into a temple and, you know, it was nothing it's once you got through the door. Well, it's Kind of like the Vegas casinos, right? It's all of a facade. <laughs> Go inside. It's it's a big. Gosh, how do we, we we've, we've covered spaghetti, Greek history, facade? I mean, what doesn't this show have? That's right. Oh my goodness. So I can I can change the facade, but not fix the you know the back office black hole, the the hot potato syndrome. The I lose mm. the ticket as it leaves the service desk, can never see it again mm. until someone screams loud enough. Unless I fix the end to end process, which is this distributed model, second third level, right? And have one process coherently holding that together, I fix nothing except getting someone else to yell at. What about the cultural aspect? So when you're collapsing, for lack of a better term, multiple support elements, whether they be rogue desks, shadow desks, rogue people, do you ever have to consider that maybe the mini desk that sits in front of ERP, those people might treat their customers completely differently than the HR mini desk sitting in front of HR? And how do you align that mindset? Well, there's definitely a view and some reality to the fact that the closer the desk is to their consumer, the more affinity that desk has and understanding of their knowledge. That's interesting. So the closer a desk is to the consumer, the, the I, I have to use a simple word, sorry, the nicer that desk is? Well, the better they understand the context with which in which they're supporting. Gotcha, because that's different than nicer, right? They better understand it. They can still be mean. They just know they're mean. At least they understand the context of in which they're being mean. They understand the culture, that their clients better. Uh, and so that's why I'm not advocating, let's all just go to one central hunking Death Star desk, right? Mm -hmm. We still have to maintain this distributed model, which has some elements which are close to the consumer, some which are central, because uh, that's still a balance we have to find. But then we have to pull this together because what happens is these very uh, remote elements of our support model will start to feel closer affinity to their consumer client 
especially if they're actually getting paid by that. It's a whole other conversation. Maybe we can do that next time. And how do you deal with that? It really is a two-part podcast. Yeah, so we can deal with the rogue support agencies in our next discussion. But how do I keep them part of the team, connected, but yet still close in providing that value-added knowledge-based service they're doing you know, on the plant floor or in the branch. Totally. I would think if I was like a consultant and like someone actually paid me for my advice, I would say, okay, before we even look at the tools and the IVRs and everything, you know, doing your little mapping exercise on our, you know, our, our, our graph of support, right? Support model. That's the support strategy we were talking about. I, I, before I did anything with tools or pro, I would just want to sit with each team and make sure everybody was consistently answering the phone the same way. Well, that's the front door, but... In the end, I still got to get this big picture of what does tomorrow look like yeah. in the distributed model, front to back. Yeah. And then I take my inventory and I start mapping it and I understand how to better consolidate, improve you know, the current state to where I want to be. Well, maybe, maybe in today's show, some people at least have the idea that it's okay if the front door is done and, and, and it, you don't have to do the whole house. You can just maybe do the front door in the front room. The first step. You don't have to, Yeah. Because, again, you can change the front door, paint it up, uh, you know, and make it nice and pretty and easy to access. But unless you fix the back end, you're eventually going to be in the same place you were. Right now we're in the foyer, and next time, next show, we'll maybe t- maybe move into the, the main living quarters. Absolutely. I like that. Troy, do you know what it is? It's that time. It's time for Troy's Thunderbolt Tip of the Day! Okay, so Chris, a distributed service desk strategy is practically a necessity or a given for every organization. The goal is to untangle the current fragmented model and to improve the clear channels of support. Until next time, part two, the distributed service desk rogue agents and moving into the main living area of the base element. This is Chris Dancy with Troy Dumoulin, and we'll see you in two weeks. Mm-hmm.